All right, good. Good morning, everyone. All right, we're grateful to uh, have you here with us this morning, and uh, trust that your heart will be blessed by the time that we share together. Uh, look, for the uh, announcements, we have Easter week coming up. Next Sunday is Palm Sunday. And we have a missionary coming in uh, from Africa to share with us next Sunday morning. His name is Honore Aflabi, uh, and we're going to get the pronunciation of his name correct next Sunday morning, okay? So I practiced it this morning. So I trust that you'll, you'll come and that you'll invite a friend. I think you're going to be really blessed by Honore's uh, testimony to the work that God is doing in Africa and also by the preaching of the Word. So next Sunday morning at 9.30 for Sunday School, if you would like to meet him personally, hear about the work that they're involved in, that'll take place in the Sunday School room to the left, going that direction, and then he'll be preaching during the morning service, okay? We also want you to be mindful of Easter weekend. We will have a Good Friday service at 6 o'clock, and then our Easter service will be at 10.30 on Easter Sunday morning. So you can be uh, preparing for that. Encourage you to invite a friend uh, to join us for that time of celebration on that day. Okay? So I want to ask you to stand with me this morning as we go to the Lord in prayer. And then we'll enter into our season of worship and song this morning. So Father, as we uh, come into your presence today, uh, we count you as our great God as a holy God, as a God who loves us despite our sinfulness through the cross of Christ. For your great grace to everyone here this morning, God, we're grateful. We're thankful that no one's need this morning is greater than your capacity to forgive, to love, and to redeem. And so, Lord, for, for that individual perhaps that's here this morning thinking that they're too far gone, they're too far away, uh, help them to realize that we have a God who is great in his love, we have a Savior who is great in His sacrifice and His redeeming love through Calvary, that none of us are beyond reach. We thank You that we have access into Your presence this morning, Lord. As we come, Lord, we're grateful for uh, having Gary Hoyt with us today. Thank You for the good progress that he's experienced. And we pray for continued healing, uh, Lord, over his uh, body. We thank you that the Monaghan triplets are at home. We know there are ongoing needs. <laughs> Obviously, Lord, the need for energy for mom and dad, uh, for the care of their children, but protection over the health of these three little ones. And God, pour your favor over them and show them your favor and mercy in that family. Give them provision for all of the unique needs that are present for these three little babies. God, we pray your blessing, rich blessing over them. Uh, Lord, for uh, Diana and uh, others within our church family who have been going through seasons of struggle and battles, some with cancer, some with various sicknesses, we lift them before you, Lord, this morning. We ask that your hand of favor would rest on them. For those that stand before you this morning with needs that are unspoken or unknown uh, because of the nature of those needs, Lord, we lift those individuals up also and ask that your hand of blessing would rest strongly upon them this morning. So Lord, as we worship you, we trust that you will uh, just inhabit our praises, God, that we will know your nearness. We know that you're, you're, you're already with us, Lord. We can't, we can't bring you into our presence. You're here. Uh, we're your living temple. We are living stones built on the living stone of Jesus Christ. Lord, make us aware today of the great privilege that we have in Christ. Bless our season of worship. And we thank you for your blessings. In Jesus' glorious name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Let's worship him together.
fear the battle, we won't fear the night. We will walk a valley with you by our side. You will go before us, you will lead the way. We have found a refuge, only you can see. strong and mighty fortress raise your voice now no love is greater who can stand against us if our god is for us even when i stumble even when i stumble even when i fall even when i turn back still your love is sure Cheer me onward with never-ending grace. Sing with joy now, our God is for us. The Father's love is a strong and mighty fortress. Raise your voice now, no love is greater. Who can stand against us if our God is for us? strong and mighty fortress raise your voice now no love is greater who can stand against us if our god is for us sing with joy now our god is for us the father's love is a strong and mighty fortress raise your voice now no love is greater who can stand against us if our god is for us We've got a new song for you this morning called Death Was Arrested. Feel free to sing out when you get it, and we're going to sing it uh, with power on Easter. So. Alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin Lost without hope, with no place to begin. Your love made a way to let mercy come in. When death was arrested, my life began. Thank you, Lord. Ash was redeemed, only beauty remains. 
My orphan heart was given a name. And my morning grew quiet, my feet rose to dance. When death was arrested, my life began. Oh, your grace so washes over me. You have made me new. Now life begins with you. It's your endless love pouring down on us. You have made us new. From my chains, I'm a prisoner no more. My shame was a ransom he faithfully bore. He canceled my debt and he called me his friend. When death was arrested, my life began. Oh, oh your grace, suffering washes over. displayed on a criminal's cross darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost but then Jesus arose with our freedom in hand that's when
stood before creation. Sing it out.
share with you a prayer request this morning uh, for someone in our church family that has been going through a season of rather difficult uh, physical struggle. Uh, so uh, most of you know Tim and Linda Matthews. Uh, Linda has been battling cancer uh, rather quietly and privately. Uh, for a number of personal reasons uh, for quite a few years. That, uh, that battle has intensified. Uh, she is currently in the hospital, and uh, we wanted you to be aware of that need. She had wanted us to keep that quiet. We have honored and respected that. Uh, Tim and Anna... Uh, spoke with them this morning, and uh, they wanted uh, you to know of her situation and to be in prayer uh, for her. Um, if you have any questions uh, about uh, Linda's condition, we're going to ask you this. Please do not text or call her. Um, uh, Linda will, or Anna will be glad to uh, speak with you if, you if you have questions. If you, you want to talk to someone, she's here. Her dad's at the hospital uh, with her mom. So, uh, just want to be clear about that situation. Really ask you to honor uh, that request. Do not blow up her phone, okay? Please don't do that. Uh, but pray for her, okay? We're, we're bringing it for that reason. And uh, so, uh, yeah, the Matthews family are people that we love dearly. Uh, Linda has ministered to every, every person in this room. If you've been around for three days, uh, she's wanted to serve you in some way. And uh, she needs us to serve her now and to uh, pray for her. And so we're going to do that before Doug comes to preach this morning, okay? So let's pray together. So, Father, as we come this morning, our hearts are sad. 
they are heavy. They are uh, suffering along with their sister, with her family. And God, I ask that you would work in a very special way at this time uh, to preserve Linda's life and her service amongst us. Uh, Lord, these are precious people to us that we love dearly, been with us a long time. And so we ask that your favor uh, would be resting on Linda today. Give wisdom to the doctors that are working with her, diagnosing, analyzing, doing what they do with the gifts that you've given them. But above all, we ask that your hand uh, would touch her today. Uh, Lord, our hope is in you. Uh, we don't trust in chariots. We don't trust in horses. We trust in you. And we commit her into your hands to do good and to do a powerful work in her life. Uh, bless Anna as she and Dylan are expecting a child in July. And uh, there's, so there's joy mixed with the pain right now for them. And uh, so we ask that a unique favor would rest upon them uh, during this time as well. Protection of this little one and healthy growth inside mommy's belly and uh, favor on that day of birth, we pray. Bless Doug as he comes to bring us your word this morning, Lord. We, we trust that you will enable him uh, to unpack your truth by your spirit in a way that will minister to our hearts in our time of need today. And God, I know as I pray for Linda, there's a lot of other unique needs that are present, that are unknown, but you know them, Lord. And we trust that the sword of the Spirit would be sharp and piercing, that it would discern and meet needs today, that we would sense, Holy Spirit, your presence, your work, opening our eyes to things that otherwise would be dark to us. Make them light in Christ. Today we pray. And we ask for these blessings in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And all God's people said, amen. Doug, you can come. Good morning. Children uh, five to eight years of age can be dismissed for junior church at this time. And I couldn't help thinking coming out of the singing and then hearing the prayer, requ prayer request. It just drew me again to that wonderful passage in Romans chapter eight. It's an amazing chapter. It's one of my favorite chapters in the scripture. Because what I love about Christianity is Christianity faces life in the raw for what it is. Because only Christianity can, because only Christianity has hope. And all the way through Romans 8, you have this theme of groaning. In the second part of Romans chapter 8, the, the creation groans, we groan, and in a way that I don't fully understand, but I completely love, the spirit groans when we groan and we don't even know what to say. You know, it's an amazing thing. And the other thing that's woven all the way through there is we are loved and we have hope in Christ. I mean, so to sing and have the prayer request afterwards and think of Linda, our sister in Christ, it's exactly what we're to be about as God's people. And so, um, Anna, you please communicate to your family that you all in our prayers, please. So, yeah, it's wonderful. If you have your Bibles, I ask you to turn over to 1 Peter chapter uh, 2. 
And the good news is I'm only looking at two verses today. So that, that, can't, that can't be that bad, right? <laughs> Some of you are shaking your heads, but. So when I was going into uh, eighth grade, um, my dad was offered, they were, Ford Motor Company was building a plant in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and uh, they asked him to go down and be part of the quality control, whatever, you know, all that, whatever he, whatever he was doing, some, something quality control. And um, so I didn't really have a choice. Uh, we went. Um, and I, you know, junior high years are hard enough, so as it is. But to take you away from your friends and put you in a foreign country, you don't know the language, you don't know the people, um, that was a challenge for junior hires, I guess is what I would say. Um, and I, I won't go through all the challenges I had while I was there, but I had several of them. But one, one of the sensations that I had, and I, you know, I built friendships and all, but I, I was always longing for home. You know, learned to play soccer down there, not very well, but learned to play it. Um, and had some good friends, but I wasn't Brazilian, I was American. And, and, and just a junior hire. And I still remember when we flew back home and we landed in JFK, we were down there two years. I still remember, I mean like JFK, you can remember a lot of things about. But I still remember just coming out of that plane and being on the sidewalk and looking around and saying, I'm home. I'm, I'm back in America, finally. When I, uh, when I think about the passage we're looking at today, I kind of think of that sensation where, where you, you, you often will live in a different country and, 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 you, and you manage, you learn the language, you do what you have to do for sure, but it's never quite home. And you kind of live there in light of that, don't you? The one shapes the other. And as we come to uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, that's exactly what we're going to be find happening here. Um, it's, it's, listen to how he describes us, all right? Verse 11. Now, I'm reading from the NIV. Um, I don't, I mean, it's not bad, the translation, but I don't like it quite as much as maybe your translation that you have there. Mine says this. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. You know that word, dear friends? And, and they're trying to bring out the endearment. It's really nice. You know the word agape, right? You've all heard of agape. It's a Greek word. The, the word here is agape toy. And it's saying... He's saying, beloved ones, people I love, Peter's saying. But more important than that, the reason I love you ultimately is because God loves you. Be before he orients you between two worlds, really, doesn't he? You, you live in this world, but you're a child of that world. He says, you got to know where you belong. And at the end of the day, none of us belong 
here ultimately. Now, it doesn't mean we don't have friends and family and all kinds of things, but we should always be longing for home. And so he starts out by saying, loved ones, you are loved of God. Your belonging is in relationship to him. Tim just unpacked in the last couple verses there uh, in the previous section in chapter two. Listen to all the words that describe you. Verse five, you are living stones. Verse nine, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. If you sit out there and you say, I'm nothing. Nobody cares about me. Now, I don't know your story, but I know this. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that is completely false. You are his special possession. You're his royal priesthood. That's why we talk about the fact that we're all priests before God. We're kingly priests before God. I mean, we are, he, he just lavishes on us all of this image. You're this and you're that and you're a living stone. Christ is the cornerstone. He's building this edifice and you're part of it. You are loved of God. You are secure in him. Heaven is your home. But you're here. And here, you're foreigners. Here, you're, uh, you're resident aliens, if you will. And the words are really interesting. He uses them in chapter, in chapter one. He uses them elsewhere. And, and I've thought about it. The words emphasize two kinds of things. On the one hand, I'm not where I'm supposed to be, ultimately. I'm here. I'm not there. That, that's the first idea. And the second idea is I'm a resident. I'm here for a while, but it's not my final home. And, and one of the hardest things sometimes for Christians to grasp is that reality. I, I, I'm convinced if we really believe that in our heart of hearts, it would change an awful lot of things in our lives, wouldn't it? Our priorities, the things that get us angry and upset where we move, where we don't move, and why? Where do you belong? You are God's special possession, his chosen people, his royal priesthood, his living stones. That is you if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior. And whatever goes on now is temporary, and it's not your final home. What happens from this point on in 1 Peter, there's going to, he's going to continue to give us all kinds of good theology, of course. What else would he do? But the first section of 1 Peter is much heavier on who we are in Christ, what he's done for us. The gospel, the epistles love to do that. They love to kind of set this foundation of this is who you are in Jesus. This is what he's done for you. Just, just kind of just 
fills your mind and overwhelms you with the wonder of the cross, the wonder of God that he's for me in the person of his son, the wonder that he's given me the spirit, all that stuff. He just like throws it on us in such a way that we're going like, wow, this is so good. And then he begins to turn and says, and then this is how you need to live. So the indicatives, the realities of who we are in Christ should shape the imperatives or the commands of what we do and how we live our lives. And in 1 Peter, you still have both going on, but you're going to start having a little bit more of an emphasis on over here how we're supposed to live. Based on what he has filled your heart with for almost two chapters. Does that make sense? So that's how the text develops. And so what he's going to do, for instance, in the next four sections, if you will, he's going to talk about what it means for you and I who are God's children, heaven is our home, what it means to be resident aliens here and now in relationship to our government. Do you think that raises any issues in your mind? Like, do you look at that and say, oh, that's, a, that's, a, that's an easy one. Yeah, not so much. He's going to talk about that. What's it mean to be that kind of guy? And, 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 and the governmental systems in which we find ourselves, and, and whatever you think about ours, ours is a whole lot better than the way it's been for most people most of life. Okay? So, but, but nonetheless, he's going to talk about it. He's going to talk about how you should be responding in the workplace. Man, that raises issues. I don't know where you are in your experience, but as I look back at my work experience over the years, there are times where when I think of work, I go like, <laughs> don't you? Yeah. I'm a resident alien living here. What am I supposed to do with my government? What am I supposed to do at work? What am I supposed to do in my family? And what am I supposed to do with you and with outsiders who are mean to me? That's all what we're finding running all the way over to chapter three. Would you say, doesn't touch my life at all? <laughs> no, it touches all of us again and again. And these first two verses are kind of the introduction, the segue in to looking at those different arenas over the next couple weeks. So, so this is in many ways just an introductory message, I suppose, on the next three or four. Um, so having said that, having said loved ones, you are loved of God in a way that you will never fully realize to eternity. I don't think, I mean, um, I, I, incidentally, I wanted to thank our worship team again. Uh, Ryan and... Uh, uh, not just for you, everybody. Okay, sorry. I mean, Jillian's back. Everybody. It was, it was great. Thank you. Okay, I just, I, you know, you just... You point us to Jesus and God and the cross, and I, man, that touched it. Thank you. Okay. Um, so you told us how much we were loved of God. But so, okay, if that's the case... Generically speaking, Doug, what are we supposed, or not Doug, Peter, I should say, like, pfft, who cares what Doug thinks? But Peter, what should we be doing? And he says two things in this passage, okay? 
The first one is found in verse 11. And, and I call it more of a kind of a defensive inward move, okay, as we think about the world around us. Because what it's telling us is there's stuff coming this way at us. And the, verse 12 is going to talk about, okay, and what do we do back? Make sense? But first of all, he talks about this kind of movement against the pressures that we feel. And he says this in verse 11. So beloved ones, I urge you. And, and again, Peter's not going like, hey, hey, a little bit of advice. You get a couple minutes, think about it. No, 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 not for Peter, man. He's like, I am completely in on this one. And you need to be in on it too. I urge you with everything inside of me, this is what you need, okay? So what, what, do, you, what do you urge us to do? I urge you as foreigners um, and aliens to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. I trusted Jesus Christ as my, as my savior when I was eight years old. If I heard the gospel before that, I don't really remember, but I remember hearing it when I was eight. Went to a church, church that Tim and I grew up in, and with all the challenges sometimes that people have, that pastor was clear on the gospel, and man, I, I, you know, I, I, I bowed my knee and became a Christian. And immediately, I never struggled with sin again. You're laughing. In some ways, the battle was just beginning. Because I had changed sides. But I still have inclinations within and bents within that the scripture will often call the flesh. That, 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 that if, you know, when people say, hey, just do what comes naturally, that is not a good thing. Because if I shift into neutral and do what comes naturally, then uh, you're not going to like it. I will, but you won't, right? I mean, it's just the way it works. And no, there's a battle within. Galatians 5 will talk about battle between the spirit and the flesh. And so now you are in warfare, which is why Paul will often use the expression, we must fight the good fight. And it's not till the end of his life when he's ready to actually have, have his head chopped off that he actually says, I have fought the fight, I have finished the course. You know what that tells me? His entire life was a fight. We have warfare against a world who, which has value, and, and there's nothing good in the world? No, there's obviously nice people and different things in the world that, that we intersect with that are beneficial. I get all that. But a system which is actually doesn't have God as its center, will not teach you correctly. It may intersect once in a while, but it won't teach you correctly from the core. And that world system, it's kind of like this. If I'm a fish just kind of going along the water, doing my own thing, and all of a sudden I see this worm over there dancing, just dancing in the water. Um, I ought to stop and think about what that all's about, because there's a hook underneath that thing. But Dumb fish that I am, I just go over it and take that whole thing. Well, we live in a world where there's just worms dangling all over the place. 
And the problem is there's inclinations within me that goes, whoa, that worm looks pretty good, right? And so he says, it's a battle. You have the spirit of God working within your heart. That's true. You don't have to obey. That's true, but you will fight. And if you think the Christian life is just easy and no tension, it's not true. And Peter says, I want you to fight against those allurements. I want you to fight against those value systems which are coming your way that they want you to buy into. With all your heart, put on your glasses of a Christian worldview in the gospel and see what is happening. In Peter's, in Peter's book itself, challenges come from a variety of areas. Let me just mention three to you real quick. They come from the way I speak in verses one and two of chapter two. He wouldn't have to say, get rid of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, if I didn't struggle with those kinds of things. Elizabeth was asking me about malice actually the other day, right? We were talking about that. So malice is an intent in my heart to get what I want at your loss, okay? So, but thanks for asking the question. It's a great question. But all those things you read there are things of the flesh that say, if you have to be a hypocrite, if you have to slander people, if you have to be hypocritical, do it! Bam, bam, bam. And in our hearts, by the power of the Spirit, we fight back and we say, no, that may be natural, but no, I'm not gonna do that. It's our mouth. It's our morality. We haven't gotten to it yet, but in chapter four, verses two and three, he's gonna say, as a result, they, they do not live the rest of the earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Listen to this. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what the pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, in lust, in drunkenness, in orgies, in carousing, and in just downright detestable idolatry. You will live in a world that's basically saying, um, do what's in your heart. What do you feel? Let it go. I, I'm telling you, man, that, 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 that Disney song, I, the tune's wonderful. I just, I, 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 the message is awful. I, I, I'm just telling you, right? And let it go. And we have a world that says, let it go. Be whoever you want, do what you want. Cut loose. Worship whatever thing you want to worship other than the true and living God. Do you know if you hear that message long enough, it starts to wear on your soul. Young people, I love, I love everybody. I love our young people. Teenagers, if you're in public school, do you not feel that? Do you not? When, when everything around you is saying excess and try this, it'll give you meaning and try that and it'll give you meaning. It's all detestable idolatry. 
to use Peter's terms. And it's just like, oh, oh, kindly push us. And, and it's so hard sometimes to think like, man, alive kind of sounds fun. And it might be fun for a season. Actually, if there wasn't any pleasure in it, nobody would do it. But it's not for you good. And this Texas, remember who you are. You're living here, but this isn't your final home. That's your final home. And God is here now at work actively in your life. So fight. You don't fight alone. You fight by his power. Do you see? If it was just Doug Finkbeiner going out against it, like, I am sunk. And so are you. But when the onslaught comes in the area of how we speak, in the area of morality, um, and and then there's other areas of just general behavior in 415, I won't read all that, but you, you get the point, don't you? All these areas are coming at me, coming at me. I don't know, like when I wake up in the morning, I'm stiff, sore. First thing I'm thinking about is not battle. I'm just thinking about, can I make it to the sink and shave? I'm really happy if that, that's a good way to start my day, you know, and, and kind of go from there. But every day is a battle. Well, I, I don't like you saying that. It is. Can you imagine being, in the, being a soldier in an army and just like walking out there and bullets are whizzing all by you and you just do whatever. That's how some Christians live their lives. It's crazy. You, whether you like it or not, you're, at, you're, you're in warfare, it, like it or not. So come on, get in the bunker with us and let's do it. So he says, when that comes, by the power of the Spirit, in humility before God, fight by his power. Push back. And when, when you fail, you repent. You confess. My life's over. No. Get back into it again. You stay the course. So, on the one hand, there's this defensive move where from my heart, I've got to be prepared how I'm going to actually respond. So, now, now what do I do? What, like, now, okay, but I need to kind of go on the offensive, don't I? Yeah, you do. You do, actually. Well, what does that look like? That looks like what we find in verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Oh. So I'm not just defensive. No, you are that, for sure, for sure. You're processing the stuff coming in and thinking about it, and God, how should I? No, I don't want to do that. That won't honor you. God, help me. I'm not thinking right. I feel so weak right now. All that, all that, true. But, what, but, but now, God, help me to go on the offensive. And the way he says go on the offensive is, I want you to choose that very area in which you're slandered. Are Christians ever called phobic for anything? Are you ever called a something-ist? 
an ageist. In Pennsylvania, we have the term now ableist because of John Fetterman, whatever that's all about. I, I mean, there's so many ists, I get confused. But Christians who are often trying to honor Christ in their life, and, and sometimes we bring it on ourselves in the way we say it. That's absolutely true. And Peter will deal with that too. And as you continue to read and say, look, if you're suffering for the way you said it, God will say, don't blame me. <laughs> I mean, you, you brought this on yourself. But if you're suffering because you're seeking to walk with God in the midst of all this, the world will misunderstand you. And they will throw terms at you. And they'll say, what's the matter? You're, no, you're not as good, you're too good for us. You're not going and doing the things you used to do with us before you were a Christian. Like, what's up? And they'll, they'll sling things. You're a goody two-shoes. You're a, I don't know, whatever they'll throw at us. Oh, you have morals. And we don't. Well, you're just phobic. Or whatever else term they use. And so what do we do? Re-entrench and shoot back. Is that what the text says? You know what the text is going to tell us in these next couple scenarios with the government, with work, in our home? You know what word ties all of those passages together? Submission. What? Submission. As much as obedience to Christ will allow for the glory of God, how can I move back into these relationships in a way that I tell people I'm not adversarial and against you? I'm against your sin. I want you to know Christ. But I want to relate to you in, in as appropriate ways as possible. And when you say things that are wrong, I'm going to kindly but certainly respond to all that. But I'm going to do it kindly. I mean, it, it's hard to have that attitude. Sometimes I go, burn it down or whatever. You know, people say all kinds of stuff. And you go, you feel that sometimes, don't you? That's not what the scripture says. Christians ought to be the best citizens possible as much as obedience to Christ will allow. And there's some things we can't go along with. So it's not our favorite word, submission, is it? Like when I say submission, oh man, I love that one. Sign me up, submission. Let's have a submission conference. Oh man, pull them in. <laughs> How many would come, Tim? <laughs> you know, not too many, right? And yet it's the theme that's going to run through this next section. You know what the other theme is? Return good for evil. I don't like that one either. What kind of offensive strategy is this, Finkbeiner? Those areas in which the world has misunderstood us and slanders us, sometimes for reasons that we deserve, but nonetheless, they slander us. He says, I want you to go back into that arena. And as much as obedience to Christ will allow, be a good citizen. <coughs> I want you to go back in that arena, and when people are just downright nasty, I want you to be kind. I can't do that. You can't do that. Who wants to do that? 
I'll tell you what I want to do. Don't you? I get it. I completely get it. Talk to my wife. She'll tell you. I talk, I will talk to the TV at times, and I know I shouldn't, but you know, like, what is they, what are they doing? Honey, they can't hear you. I know, but I feel better. <laughs> you know, I, I, like, I, I completely get it. But our offensive stance in a world that comes at us, no, we don't assimilate into what they're saying. That's dishonoring to Christ. That's true. But we move back to them saying, I'm not against you. I'm not even against this institution. And I want you to know I love you even when you're unkind to me. You know what he says? He says, when that's our stance, listen to what he says. The purpose is in the midst of those very areas in which they slander you, that they may see your good deeds that are completely unexplainable. You are loving me? You're still trying to help? You're trying to, what gives? Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, Peter is gonna go on to say. See how it works? And in the process, they will see your good deeds and they will glorify God on the day that he visits us. That visitation of God is talking about the final visitation. It's eternal. And there's one of two possibilities. It either means that those very people who hate you and won't listen to you And even when you're kind back, they still keep pushing and whatever else. One day, as Philippians 2 tells us, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the glory of God who Jesus is. So that is true, isn't it? I mean, we know that. We know that from the Bible. So that's a truism. Everyone will glorify God. They'll either bend the knee in this world or they will bend the knee in the world to come. But at that point, it's too late for their eternal destiny. The other way to understand this text, and that's a truism, so I'm not just not debating that, and, and it could be what's going on here. It strikes me as it's probably more likely, because this is picked up again, the same image is picked up in chapter three, talking about a wife who's living with a ungodly, disobedient, lost husband. The other way to understand it is, because you're responding the way you're responding, God will often work through his spirit in the life of that person who is lost, who will finally wake up. And they'll go, wow, Christianity is real. Like this person, like this is the real stuff. And they will come to faith in Christ. And in the day of visitation, that person who was ostracized you and laughed and mocked will stand with tears coming down their eyes because they've accepted Christ and thank you for being used by God to bring them to Jesus Christ. I think it's more the second than the first, although they're both true. 
This is a life and death text, folks. Do you realize that? The way I'd live in my world before others can change their eternity. So, I'd say in, way, in conclusion, you know me, I always have these long statements at the end, but try to get it all in. We, we really are living abroad as God's beloved people, which means as God's beloved people who are living as foreign residents in the here and now, resist fleshly lusts and maintain good behavior before those who oppose you so that they will ultimately glorify God as they see your good behavior. My brothers and sisters, don't spend this week. Invest it. Let's pray. Father, these passages on the one hand just make our hearts rejoice that we are your beloved people, that we are completely secure because we know Jesus Christ. And yet, Father, we're not home. We're here. And we want to live in such a way that the world around us brings glory to your name by bending the knee to you. Father, do a work in our hearts. For any person that's with us today who doesn't know Christ, may this be the day that they bow the knee, that they trust in Christ alone as Lord and Savior, that they know the joy and the freedom of which we sing in an experiential way, in a way that they never have before. And Father, for my brothers and sisters here today, we all struggle, Lord. We all forget where we live. Lord, we're living abroad. Help us to live in such a way that we honor you in our personal lives and show you off to the world around us. In Christ's name I pray, amen.
Father, thank you for the message that Doug brought for us this morning. And God, we recognize you certainly know that we are not capable of living the ways in which we just discussed without your indwelling presence in our lives. So God, we just ask that before before a watching world, God, in our sphere of influences, that um, you would just continue to do your work in and through our lives. Help us to be just a conduit for your grace to those that you would uh, seek to save. God, just uh, thank you for this time, and we ask uh, that you bless us as we go. In Christ's name, amen. Have a nice week.